You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. Let me talk to you about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament just for a moment. We got into some of these things, and I want to talk to you a little bit about it. I'm going to touch on a topic sometimes I teach on called multidimensional God, okay? Now, this sounds like a big, heady title. It's not. This is going to be pretty simple, but I want you to understand something. There is a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and of course, we know under grace that it's the law versus, you know, the finished works of Jesus, yes and amen, but that still doesn't answer the question to why God killed all those people in the Old Testament. You know, you ever, you know, you, you read scriptures in the New Testament like, you got to love your brothers and sisters. To think evil of them is to like, hate them is like, you're equal to murder. I'm like, God, you kill all those people in the Old Testament though, <laughs> right? Think about it, you know? Every time they came into town, you know, the, the tagline for Joshua's ministry was, you're dead. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Joshua ministries, <laughs> you're dead. You know, think about that. David had an underground ministry, hidden caves. You think about all these different ones that had their, their place in the body and all the things that they endured and did and all this. But why was it so dramatically different? And I've talked with atheists and different people, and they'll argue with me, you know, and I do a whole teaching on apologetics to give an answer for the faith. And and the reason is, is because they will use that and say, see, God is unpredictable. As a matter of fact, there's uh, early New Testament writers and different people actually so could not reconcile the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New that they, had, they said it was two different entities. They said there was Jehovah, the good guy, and uh, this other entity called the Demiurge. Maybe you've never heard this terminology before, but this is theological stuff. They called them the Demiurge, that Jehovah was the good guy, but the Demiurge was kind of like this offshoot, kind of like a brother figure that would run around and not be very kind to people, and he'd get angry. So whenever you saw God angry, that was the Demiurge. Whenever you saw God going, I love you, my people, that was Jehovah, okay? And now that's nonsense, but that is what people believed. And the reason is it was so uh, different. It was so not... Um, it doesn't jive. Jesus said to Philip, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I'm thinking, thunderbolts and lightning, you know, and all this. So I'm going to go into that just a little bit. I want to touch on it more, not from the whole aspect of the finished law. The law is covered. Praise God for that. But I want to talk about the nature, the character, and the dimensionalism of God just for a moment so we can start to understand from his perspective why things were the way they were and why they are the way they are now. You ready for this? Okay, so in the Old Testament and the things you begin to see, you first and foremost have to understand, we use words like sin, we throw those words around, like you're in sin, you did this, you know, there's something bad going on here, or, you know, we judge things by behavior and all this. God does not view sin the way we view sin. Okay, you got to understand this. He doesn't view sin the way we do. God is a spirit, John 4, 24, and those that worship him must do so in spirit and in truth. So let's start out with the topic of eternal punishment just for a second. People get into this ideology about eternal punishment. There was that really stupid book written years ago called um, Love Wins. I don't know if you remember that. But people started saying, no, hell is not forever. It's not forever because God is love. And how could he possibly send someone to hell forever? Well, I'm going to answer that, number one. But number two, they're actually right. Hell is not forever. Hell has an ending to it. Did you know that? 
It's when hell gets scooped up and it's thrown into the lake of fire. Then it goes forever in the second death. So hell does come to an end, but it gets worse. Much, much worse. Okay? So that being said, people are like, ah, check out right here. I'm out, Joseph, right? Now listen, what you recognize is this is that in the beginning, way, wherever you are, whether you believe in, you know, before the flood, uh, pre-edemic civilization stuff, or whether you believe in after that, if you're into the gap theory, all these different things people argue out over is really irrelevant. Here's the main point. The main point is Lucifer rebelled against God. The reason hell exists and the reason it's there, it was created for the devil and his angels. Now, there's three different levels to hell. There's Tartarus, there's Hades, there's the outer darkness, the Abuso. There's different parts of this. But saying this to say, the reason it's there is it's a, a reaction to a violation, okay? And to understand sin and to understand this, it's not just about do the right thing and God's pleased, don't do the right thing and God's angry. You know, religion makes God out to be like a caveman, like he doesn't really understand, you know. Like we, we understand, but God's just kind of black and white. He doesn't really read between the lines, you know. Why you make God angry? You did this again, God angry. Why you infuriate God? Oh, God gets you. God throw lightning, right? Caveman God. It's like he has no intellect. Ugh. You know, that's not how God is. Is. He's a spirit, okay? And his reality is spirit, and you've got to understand this. And when you begin to understand this, it's going to make you love him more, okay? And what happened is Lucifer rebelled, and he was convincing enough to get all these other angels, okay? All these other angels. I like to say this. No fallen angel or any other created thing is worthy of worship. That red shoe that just came out recently, people were putting that out. I put out a clown shoe post, and I, I put out, uh, also coming soon, the Lou edition. No, I, I lose shoes. <laughs> the unworthy edition. And I'm sorry. And so saying that to say, what happened is, is when he fell and he did this, you've got to first and foremost look at hell and judgment as a response to the holiness of God. Now, we look at holiness through our natural lens, and we say, oh, holiness is you know, amazing. It just means you live clean, you walk it out, God's in you, I'm clean through the blood of Jesus, praise God. I don't think we have a real concept of what holiness is, to be pure and completely separated, okay? So for the sake of time and just cutting to the chase, what happened is, is there was a supernatural, not a natural, a supernatural violation of God in the realm of the spirit by Lucifer, okay? Now, people say, how can hell possibly exist with the goodness of God? Hell exists, and the reason it goes forever is not because God wants to just torture people forever, but the reason it exists is because God's holiness, his splendor, who he is, is so magnificent. It's so beyond our ability to rationalize or wrap our minds around it. It's so wonderful and without end that when it came and it was polluted by Lucifer in the rebellion, there was no punishment to fit the crime. So when hell ignited, it wasn't enough. The lake of fire isn't enough. That's why it goes on forever and ever 
and ever because the judgment is not enough to suffice the supernatural violation of God's holiness. Now, in the natural, Jesus came and he fixed the mess between us and God. But that violation will still be dealt with at the end even. That's why hell never ends. Because there is no answer. There's nothing equal to God to answer the plight that God had when the devil violated his holiness. So what begins to happen then is because of this, Jesus answers the fight between us and God, but then you also see, and there's this simple scripture in like Revelation 21, where it says, heaven and earth will be no more and it will flee from before his face. Why? Because heaven is tainted and so is earth. So Jesus is gonna right-size this earth, get it to where it needs to be, and God's gonna recreate it. In the millennium, he's gonna, re, he's gonna do all this stuff, get it where it's supposed to be, almost like a, I don't know how to describe this, so I'll just use this word, and I'm using it very loosely, but almost like a sacrificial act, like Jesus is gonna get it where it's supposed to be, and then God will say, okay, and then recreate it. And you'll have to study that and figure that out. I don't understand all this, but I'm, I'm, I'm on a journey with it. And so God is going to do that. It says it flees from before his face. You know, global warming is real. Right? Climate change is going to be very real in that day. It says the earth is preserved for a day of fire. And that is, listen to me, if it's preserved for a day of fire where the elements will melt with fervent heat. Some people are like, that's nuclear war. I don't think so. I think it's the Hebrews 12 consuming fire. God said to Moses, no man can see my face and live because he's the perpetual now, the great I am, present, always, past, present, future, simultaneously, and it's pure fire. That's man's perception of God. Now, in the Old Testament, the reason, the reason, there's two reasons God was terrifying to people in the Old Testament. Two reasons. One, he was spirit, pure, holy, perfect. And when he would enter into, when he would enter into the natural, pure holiness would be coming into contact with fallenness, with fallenness, meaning this, when God would step, you know, like he stepped into the darkness and created the light, our God is an awesome God, yeah, <laughs> uh, thunder in his footsteps and lightning in his fist, anyway, he would come into the natural and the manifestation of pure holiness to sinful man is terrifying. Let me read you a quick excerpt of this. Uh, Hebrews 12. Let's go to Hebrews 12. I want you to see this. I love this. And it's comparing now that we have Jesus, we don't have to experience it that way. We don't have to be like, he's going to kill us all. We're all going to die. We don't have to be that way anymore. Okay? We don't have to be like that because Jesus is here. And we take for granted that. We, we don't realize how awesome it is that Jesus is here. We get to see the real nature of the living God presented in Jesus. Instead of pure holiness, touching, it's like trying to grab hold of fire with your hands, okay? It just doesn't jive. And God never wanted Israel to have a king. He didn't want them to have anything. He's like, I'll be your king. I'll be your God. I'm the one. He'd be like, we'll come down, hug you guys. And he'd appear and they'd be like, ah! You know, it's like Indiana Jones and their skin's blowing off, you know? That's what it was like. 
That's how I think God was. He's like, Adam, where are you? He wanted to walk with Adam, but that began to be more and more of a fallen state. And God was more in spirit, and he began to manifest in the natural. And when he would do that, you get experiences like I'm going to read to you here in Hebrews 12. So let's take a look at this very quickly. Um, so much we could get into. He's talking about from verse 12 on down uh, to verse 17, he's talking about uh, bitterness and profane people like Esau who sold their birthright for a morsel of food. They just didn't have any ability of what was holy. And you get to verse 18 and it says, for you have not come to, look now, the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest. They're talking about God. People are like, no, God's great. He is. He's good. He's amazing. And I'm going to show you that in a moment. But let's, let's keep going. Verse 19. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those heard it did what? Begged. Begged that no word should be spoken to them anymore. They're like, please, Moses, don't let him talk again. It's terrifying. You know, I have friends who've been on safari, and they sit at night uh, when they're hunting lions or they're, they're doing safari tours where they view lions or whatever they're doing over there, and they said they'll hear the lions roar at night. I don't think they were hunting lions. That was the wrong word. But they were, they were intense, and they were listening to lions in the middle of the night roaring, Okay. And when they're roaring, <laughs> guys are like, you friend a lion killer? I, no, they were not hunting lions. Uh, so I, was, I got safari and hunting mixed up, praise the Lord. Anyway, and so they're in this tent. They're in this tent. And as they're in this tent in the middle of the night, they heard lions roaring. And they said it just shakes you to the core of your being, right to, right to your bones. You're like, oh, man. Oh, no. Mufasa. <laughs> right? That's what these people were like. They were terrified. They were terrified. And they said, they begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Verse 20, they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast, an animal, touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. Because God's coming down to see them, but anything that tried to come near him, he wanted to see them, but his holiness is like, sin! <laughs> Even animals, he's like, kill them! Because he just couldn't handle the presence of fallen man without a mediator, okay? Then you get to this, and it says, verse 21, just to keep the picture going, verse 21, and so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. This is Moses. I talked to Moses as a man talks with his friend, God said. Here's Moses, exceedingly afraid and shaking, Moses was about to have a mental breakdown. It was so terrifying, okay? This is God. He knows God. Now, why am I bringing this out? The reason is, is because God absolutely wants to be with us. And in pure form, if we jump all the way forward, we recognize this in verse uh, 28 Running up to 29, let's look at this. 28 says, therefore, we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Verse 29, for, and this is that turning point where you recognize the identity of God. It says here, our God is. I'm in verse 29 of Hebrews 12. Our God is, not like, not an allegory. Our God is a consuming fire. That's strong. And the great mystery of it all and all these things is now Jesus is the mediator. He steps on the scene. 
Jesus comes in, and Philip's like, Lord, show us the Father. He's thinking Mosaic terms. I want to see like Moses did. I want to see the fire. And Jesus is like, you don't want to see the fire. <laughs> People are like, sure. Can you imagine praying the way we pray in church in the Old Testament? If we were like, God, show us, send the fire. That's a suicidal prayer. <laughs> oh, Lord, I just want to burn with your holiness. No, you don't want to do that. Right? <laughs> God's like, you don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're saying. Yeah, that's, you guys are getting the symphony version of me in the New Testament. You don't know the heavy metal side in the Old Testament. You know? and, and the truth is, is that all happened because there was no mediator. Jesus came and said to Philip, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Philip's like, what? Where's the fire? Where's the stuff? You know, the scary stuff. You know, I want to see some thunderbolts and lightning. As a matter of fact, you know the character of the disciples when they looked at Jesus and they said, Lord, these people have rejected you. Should we call down fire on them like, you know, like Elijah did? Yeah. And Jesus like, you don't know what spirit you're of. Because that was never God's nature. Ever. He didn't want any of that stuff. Now, I said two reasons why God was like this. Let me go to the second one. So the first is he's pure spirit. It was a spiritual violation. That's why hell lasts forever because there's no, no punishment that can answer the crime. So it just has to keep being paid. It's like if you have to fill up a bucket and you have no other means to do it, so you just start pouring the water. And it's a reaction. It's just got to keep pouring. It's an empty hole. And you're pouring water into it and say, it has to go until it's full, and it'll never be full. That's spiritually speaking. Now, for you and I with God, the price is paid. Done. Okay? This is talking about angels that left their proper abode. This is talking about eternal judgment. And if people don't receive Jesus, they join into that judgment. They make the devil their daddy. You're like, that's not, that's not true. Jesus said that to the Pharisees. They're like, they said, we were not born of fornication is what they said to Jesus. I think it's like Psalm 69, I think, in that area. I think they were talking about how Jesus, uh, they could hear his cries as a boy weeping because they used to accuse his mom of being unfaithful to Joseph and all this. And so they, and the Pharisees even said to him, we weren't born uh, you know, we're, we're not uh, reprobate. We're not this. We're not uh, born of immorality like you are. And Jesus turned around and said, if you knew my father and all this, you, you wouldn't say these things. And they're like, no, our father is Moses and our father is God. He's like, no, no, no. I know who your father is. And he told them, your father's the devil. That blessed some people, huh? And so... The truth is, that's Jesus, man. And so Jesus says this to him. Oh, I just, I love Jesus. He loves this message so much. I'm so happy right now. And um, I'm telling you, Jesus likes my messages. And, <laughs> and when this is all happening, Jesus then uh, begins to go down this road, and, and he's, he's basically revealing to us the fact that if you believe according to those philosophies, you don't believe in the living God, and you don't make Jesus your way, truth, and life, your father's the devil, okay? And then you join in that judgment. You get the same judgment as the devil, never created for man. It was fashioned for fallen, wicked angels, Okay? 
So the first thing is, is God is a spirit, John 4, 24. Uh, the punishment never fits the crime. That's why hell is forever. God wanted to break into the natural, and the reason he'd manifest as a consuming fire and crazy experiences for people. There's a word, a Greek, uh, it's a uh, theological word. It's actually the word theophany. The word is called theophany. It means a form of God, okay? So in the Old Testament, you'd see a lot of theophanies. Theophanies would be like the burning bush. Moses walked up and saw a burning bush. That was a theophany, a form of God, right? So he comes up and sees these things, and God had to appear this way. And the only way he could have civil conversations with people is if he came as a man temporarily. That's how he would talk with Abraham, or he'd talk with different ones in the Old Testament. Now, I'm going to pull back from that and then go to the second reason that God related the way he did in the Old Testament. Why was it so many people uh, were killed off in the Old Testament and so many people, you ever read the stories where God would go and say, go into that village and kill every man, woman, child, and animal. Kill it all. Leave nothing alive. That sounds pretty contrary to the New Testament, doesn't it? I don't know if you're like, like me. I think about these things. And I go, God, you know, yeah, I know we're under grace and you love us and all this, but what was that about? I mean, seriously, what did that, what did that puppy do? <laughs> you know, kick that puppy. You know, it's like, well, why would we do that? You know, and our, our Western mind and the way we think, you know, begins to wrap around those concepts. And, of course, you know, we could have the Sarah McLaughlin song playing for animals that are suffering. In the arms of an angel. And I see this little puppy is behind the cage. Well, children are being murdered. Anyway, angers me, man. You know, you got little, no, thank you, Jesus. You got this stuff going on. Save the whales. Save the babies, man. I want to, it's our babies that need to be saved. And I just, it's ridiculous. The perversion of that. It's Nazi thinking. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Back to the message. You realize this, though, that, um, in this moment, the reason God would go and begin to have a whole region wiped out, the reason Sodom and Gomorrah was wiped out, people say, well, it was because of their immorality. Well, it says in Ezekiel and different places also, but it just speaks of the reasons where they were full of arrogance, they were self-indulgent, and they neglected the poor. That's a lot of the reason Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. And yes, they were immoral in their behavior. But there was another level to that immorality. It wasn't just because they were a bunch of perverts. Okay? There was a, a level to the immorality that I'm going to explain to you. And I believe this is why God had to destroy so many people in the Old Testament. He had to. And when people say God did what he did out of love and out of grace, it was because he had to to get Jesus on the planet. Let me explain it to you. I'm going to go quick with this. Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6, I want you to see something very quickly. Let's jump over here, right over to Genesis 6. I want you to see this because when you start to get a bigger picture on this, and I've gone to university and Bible college and all this stuff, and uh, a lot of scholars will not agree with this because, quite frankly, it's too much for them. But the truth is, most people and the early church scholars, they all, listen to me, they all preach this like it was gospel, what I'm about to teach you, okay? 
And uh, a lot of people today, they're like, no, uh, we'd rather have coffee, talk about C.S. Lewis, and uh, sit around and do nothing for our generation here. Uh, uh, Genesis chapter 6, <laughs> I like C.S. Lewis. You know, every, every Bible scholar, when you go to Bible college, they think they're C.S. Lewis. You know, they're just like, oh, you know, I'm uh, I was just going to begin to, you know what it really says in the Hebrew? I'm like, tell me from the depths of your knowledge. Tell me everything. You know, okay, Genesis chapter 6, <laughs> praise God. Oh, my gosh. You ever, you know what's really fun? Getting into an argument with a good old Calvinist. There ain't nothing like a Calvinist. You know, nothing says you're going to hell like a Calvinist. Okay. And, um, oh, it's great. I, I enjoy Calvinists. They don't like it when you toy with them and stuff. Anyway, Genesis 6. Let's get into this. And I love them. Praise God. Maybe they'll make it. Genesis 6, verse 1. Let's look here. Everybody okay? <laughs> Genesis 6, verse 1, now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, verse 2, that the sons of God, everybody say the sons of God. (laughs) This is a similar phrase used in the book of Job and elsewhere in the Old Testament. Sons of God is a terminology for angels, okay? The sons of God was used in Job. He said, where were you, Job, when I created the universe? And the sons of God shouted for joy as God began to create the universe. The, the angels were like, this is, this is awesome. And God's like, yeah, it is. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. And he's created. Think about it. He's like, you want to see what a comet is? We totally do, Lord. He's like, Kow! and they're looking at that. And they're like, awesome. He's like, yeah. You know, that's God. That's how God is. He's not religious. I'm telling you, God is not religious. Okay, so he's going through all that, and the angels would shout for joy. They're shouting for joy. They're like, you're awesome, God. And he's like, praise me. You know, I don't know what else, what else would God say, you know, all right? We say praise God. He's like, yeah, praise me. <laughs> okay, God's so awesome. I don't think God ever had a negative thought until Adam fell, until Lucifer rebelled. I think God is like, oh, I love it. I think God's very childlike. I think he gets hurt deeply. I appreciate the terminology, God's not in a bad mood. But I think he can be hurt. I think he feels deeply. I think he loves uh, the aborted babies. I think he loves people that are deceived and they, they, they hurt children. They do things. He loves abusers and he loves the abused. And God's just trying to reconcile this, but he can't do it without us. He's given power to us, and that's why God, he loves so deeply, and there's times he's just sad. He's just sad because he wants the world to win. He's like, I've done this. That's why Jesus said, well, I really find faith when I return, you know? And I'm not trying to put a legalistic mindset on us that you just need to do a little more. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is when you get the heart of God on you. You know, people have asked us for years, and um, I've had to work through this process, but I was in Brazil, Uh, a number of years ago, we were doing stadium meetings and all this, and I get so hungry to help people uh, that we want to minister to everybody. And I was ministering to anywhere from hundreds to thousands of people individually every night. In some of our meetings, we'd have lines that would go like a couple thousand deep, and they're coming in a line to me, and I'm prophesying one after another, you know, because I just want to help them. I want to help them. And we're doing this until the point I forget where I am. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever been there. People, I've had people take me by the arm, hey, I want to talk to you. All of a sudden, I realize 
I'm in the parking lot. What am I doing out here, you know? And people are like talking to me, hey, would you pray for this person in the car? And I love doing it. But I, I got to the point, and people have asked us for years, why do you stay up all night and pray over people? Why do you do it? We used to do it till 1, 2, 3 in the morning. We wouldn't let one person leave the meeting till we prayed for them and prophesied to them. And the reason is because God so wants to reach his people. He so wants to reach his people. But I was in Brazil, and so I'd taken on this mindset of, I'm going to do this, man. I'm going to pray for everybody. I'm going to pray for everybody. And one time, uh, this is just a few years ago, I was, I was in Brazil, and I had to go do the morning conference. I was going to open up this conference, and um, we are there with, I think, uh, uh, Todd White and these guys, and we were doing the stuff. And I began to get going. I tried to get out of bed. I couldn't move. I've never had that experience before. And I was like, I'm trying to, I can't move. And the Holy Ghost said to me, are you done yet? I was like, well, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you. And the Lord said, you're going to burn yourself out, Joseph, and you're going to die young if you keep going at this pace. He said, you need to roll this care over to me. You're not the answer for these people. I was like, oh. And he said, I want you to train up people. Start training people. It ain't all about this. Multiply yourself. Give it away. It's, you're not the answer. The training is. The Holy Spirit is. There's a lot more people just like you. I was like, oh. <laughs> uh, but I used to think that was the deal. So God loves people, and he wants to work through that. So I had to really curb that. And Heather and I made an agreement. I said that when I'm done, i got to start being done. And, and we just go forward. Now, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It, it, it's... Uh, you know, pastors are the hardest working people in ministry. I mean, it's just the way it is. You guys, I have such respect for you. You come in and do what you do every day, all the time. You teach, you do it. You know, guest ministers come in and they say things and people are like, that's amazing. And the pastor's like, it's amazing. And the pastor is here with you every Sunday, bringing it and bringing it again and bringing it some more and all of that. I just have huge respect for you guys. It's huge. And uh, everybody likes it when the, the crazy minister comes through town and everybody's like, yeah, you know, and all that. But listen to me, this is, this is where it's at. And so that being said, though, um, I finally got to the point where I just, you know, one of the things I don't understand is I don't understand lazy ministers. I was raised by savage workhorses. Savage. Like, we'd stay up all night and pray for people, crying with them and spending time with them until they got their breakthrough. Remember Dave Duell? He'd be the last man standing. And it shocked me when I'd go to different ministers' conferences, and as soon as the, the thing was over, everybody's in the green room, and the people are just kind of standing around. Oh, okay, you know. I just, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I, I just like people getting a touch from God. I really do. That's why I like Andrew Womack. He's one of the few that'll be there, and he'll, he'll be like, how you doing? <laughs> this is great. So uh, Pastor Lawson's like that. Now, praise God. Uh, this being said, let's jump back into this. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 2, it goes on to say here that the sons of God, the sons of God are angels. And it says, now this is crazy talk. It sounds wild, but it happens to be true saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful. This is also the reason there's an allusion to this in the New Testament when it says, women, have your heads covered. It's not talking about wearing a doily, okay? It's talking about being right authority with God and, and your husband or your family or with God, right? And there's a whole lot in that. I've done a huge teaching on it, but it's not talking about this religious thing because when if that's true, then, then shower with it. Sleep with it. 
because you don't want to be without your covering, amen? You know, and so, and anyway. So in this picture, in this picture, these, uh, it says, cover your heads or women should act a certain way because of the angels, okay? It says that in the New Testament. And what a weird thing to say. Now, I'm going to back up to this and say this. Now, there's, there's a lot about this, and I don't want to go wait on this road, but I'm just going to do this. Verse 2, it says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all they choose. Now, there's a lot in here, and it goes on to say all this. Verse 3 gets into, in the spirit of the Lord, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. This is when God suddenly says, whoa, I ain't having this. Okay, And it says, for he indeed is flesh, and his days shall now be 120 years, limited to that. It was a curse. There, verse 4, were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward. Everybody with me? When the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children unto them. These were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Verse 5, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he'd made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart. And then verse 7, so the Lord said, I will destroy man who I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then you realize it says in verse 9. Now listen very carefully to verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. You got this? Noah walked with God. Now, I'm giving you that quick summary, and here's what I'm saying. The reason God had to kill all the things and animals and stuff that was going on. The reason Sodom and Gomorrah was such a mess, the reason cities were out of control, is it wasn't because of their bad behavior only. Their bad behavior was a, it was a planned methodology by the devil and fallen angels to pollute the bloodline of mankind so Jesus could never be born. And what happened is, is when, when Adam fell and the devil took his authority because Adam had listened to him, remember what God said to him? God said to the devil, that serpent, who could have been around for anywhere from a little season to multiple years before that, because it, it was common for them to talk to the serpent, the shining one is what it says in Scripture. And so they're talking to him, and it's like we have this ideology that he was some kind of snake, but it calls him the shining one, so whatever that means, right? So he's there, and he's in this picture, and this talking snake is there, and God says, uh, as Pastor Kent said, you know, you're going to crawl in the belly and eat the dust, which is devil food, our, our, our flesh, our carnal nature, and a little roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, right? And that's our, our flesh. That's when you, you know, it's like when you act out in the flesh and you're trying to hold back the devil, that's like holding back a rabid dog with a piece of steak, you know? Um, <laughs> so that being said, though, what happened is the Lord said to the snake, he said, um, you're going to crawl in the belly, that's it. You're going to eat the dust and he will crush your head, but you will bruise his heel. And the Lord told the devil, I'm bringing someone, and they're going to end this mess. And the devil knew he has to be born. This guy's got to be born. He's got to be born of a woman. 
That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you cannot be born again, you cannot be saved unless you're born of water and spirit. Okay? Born of water means you're physically born into this earth. And if you're physically born into this earth, it means you, you do not have real authority unless you're born of a woman. You have to have a physical body. Okay? So what the devil tried to do and the sons of God thing, these angels came and they said, we're going to set a minefield. We're going to make this so God can't get Jesus on the scene. I actually think this is part of the reason it took so many hundreds of years before Jesus could get there is because the devil did everything he could to torpedo the lineage. Not only was it to prophesy Jesus into existence by, by holy men of old that gave prophetic utterances and the words became flesh, but it was also he needed to be born of a pure virgin woman. And at the rate the world was going, there never would have been another virgin woman. There never would have been a pure bloodline because this is where Goliath came from. This is where these big monster guys came from. Have you ever done study on those guys? They had six digits, all this. They had a couple rows of teeth. They were like shark people, shark people, shark man, right? You know, when they came into, uh, they came into the land of, of milk and honey, remember Joshua and Caleb and the spies? Remember what they said? We're going to go take the country and take the land, but we're like grasshoppers in the sight of these guys. Now, there's all kinds of extra biblical studies you can get into. We've got to stick with the word of God. But you do realize these guys could have been anywhere from nine feet tall. Some, some accounts say 30 feet tall. Some say much bigger than that. Like we're talking Jack and the Beanstalk type stuff. Fee fi fo fum, which all came from these ancient stories. That's where mythology came from. Guys that were half animal, half person, came from mythology. Uh, mythology got it from this account right here, okay? Now, summing this all up to say, it's the reason God nuked Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because, listen to me, it was such a perverse culture that when they're in Sodom and Gomorrah, suddenly what happened? Two angels came. Two angels came into the town, and the men of the city began to pound on the door and say, send them out to us. Send them out to us. Say, oh, here's my daughters. You know, what kind of scumbag offers his daughters, you know? They should have beat him to death with a shovel. But anyway, so they, <laughs> they, they, they say, hey, go, go ahead and, you know, no, no, do this. And they're like, we don't want that. We want these two guys. And I believe, and if you read into the text, I believe it was because they recognized what the Bible calls strange flesh. And they were angels. And something about the society back then was intermingling with celestial beings and polluting the bloodline. You say, you're telling me spiritual beings can create natural humans? Where do you think Jesus came from? Okay? They were trying to pollute it and pervert the narrative before the Son of the living God could get here. And I think... I think actually when you're casting out demons, it's those giants, it's those monsters in the Old Testament that you begin to recognize um, and all that, that you begin to see uh, was trying to pollute the whole bloodline. And I think when we cast out demons today, Jesus said, you foul, unclean spirit. I think they're disembodied spirits of those monsters. I really do. If you ever tangled with a demon, they're just, there's nothing nice about them and you drive them out. So I think this is why God had to kill whole regions and cities. God's like, Lot, get out of town. I'm gonna wipe this city off the face of the earth. There is nothing good in it. There's nothing. There's nothing. 
I have to wipe it clean. And, and he would tell other people, I need you to go and kill everything in this town. Don't let one thing live because of the bloodline. There was no redemption. There was no uh, happy ending for this story. These were monster people that had mixed DNA, uh, all that mess, and they were trying to ultimately stop the Messiah from coming. That's why I believe, listen to me, and I know this is, uh, maybe it might be a paradigm shift for a lot of people. I think that's why the first time Jesus stepped onto the earth and he drove out the first demon. Think about that. And he looked at him, and they're like, no. He's like, sup? <laughs> Think about it. Jesus walked up, and they're looking at Jesus, and they're like, no, 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 no. Everybody else sees a man. He had nothing that would make him look special, right? Everybody's like, it's Jesus. He's the carpenter guy. And Jesus walked in. He's like, it's my time. How are you guys doing? And he's looking at the demons. They're like, not fair. He's like, hey, look what I got, physical body. See me now? How you like me now, suckers? You know, and Jesus is coming at him, and he's like, I'm going to drive you out. Can we be excused? Can we go on the pigs? He's like, I hate pigs anyway. You may be excused. And so they went and flew off a cliff, right? Swine flew. Wow, right? Yeah. And so, <clears throat> so you begin to recognize <laughs> as the original swine flu. People are like, if Jesus was here today, he'd wear a mask. No, he'd cast out the sickness. Wouldn't wear a mat. Jesus would get the shot. Are you on crack? No, he would not. So, <clears throat> praise God. I apologize. If you're offended, you probably should be. I don't know. So, here's what I want to say about it, though. Jesus is Lord. And he came in, and the first time he drove out demons, people were like, who is this man that even demons obey him? Because I think he was saying, you little nasty imps, you little nasty monkeys, you disgusting little foul, unclean things, I know where you came from. You tried to stop me from getting here in the first place. And he's looking at them, and he's like, I'm going to drive you out. And they're like, you drive them out by Beelzebub. He's like, no, no, no. If I drive them out by the finger of God, by whom do your disciples drive them out by? Oh, sorry, your father's the devil. Now, I just want to say something to you. You have that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead within you. And all this stuff that's trying to work through our government and work through the society today is still trying to stop the seed of Abraham from reproducing. And that's Jesus made flesh. That's Jesus, the body of Christ, making disciples, taking more territory. And the reason God had to do all the things he did in the Old Testament is because it was a polluted blood pool. And he had to clean it up so he could get Jesus here. And I believe it hasn't fully stopped. And I believe we have a job to do to drive this stuff out. You know, when it talks about in the book of Revelation, the stuff that's going to come out of the pit, the stuff that's going to come out on this planet, the things we're going to begin to see, men's hearts will fail them for the fear of what's coming on the planet. Let me tell you, that's not political stuff. We've seen stuff in our history that men's hearts didn't fail them over. We've seen the Holocaust season. We've seen 9-11. We've seen earthquakes and tsunamis, and people's hearts didn't fail them for fear. What is it that would cause men's hearts to fail them from fear and honestly cause people to even the elect, that even the elect, if possible, would be deceived? What would that be? I'll leave that with you for a moment. <laughs> I'll leave that with you until next time. 
It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Well, boys and girls, we've had a really great day today, and I'll just start tying my shoelaces. It's been a wonderful day. Maybe you can think of a story we'll tell together next time. Now, what I want to say, what I want to say to you is this. It's time for you to get in faith. It's time for you to get in joy. It's time for you to do this. You know, we have, uh, uh, there's a whole bunch of us that, we office at Karis Christian Center. We work together. And um, some of my favorite people, as a matter of fact, some of the staff and things, they'll begin to uh, say, you know, Joseph, whenever we hear you walking around, you're singing. You're singing. And they said, you know, you and that uh, Javier Macias, you walk around and start singing. Now, Javier, you two are the only ones who walk in the offices singing loudly. And I said, it's because we're saved. <laughs> we're born again. Javier is an amazing guy. Like, we, we've done stuff together. He does things. His wife, Alicia, she's a powerful singer. And she actually began to, for lack of a better word, she sang the song, Fight My Battles. When you guys sang that song here the other night, she just does it. She has this anointing on her. And she begins to do it. She's like, this is how I fight my battles. And I, I can't do it like her. I'm just trying. And, and it's amazing. I got to tell you, and God's put something on those young people where they are literally, they took a youth group that was very small and began to multiply. People are getting saved by a lot of numbers. We've had like 60 young people born again already this year because of those two. And so we have a pretty good team around Karis Christian Center. I just got to tell you, that man is a man of God, and his wife is a woman of God, and God's hand is on them. And I'm just so thankful for them. But that being said, I just want to say very clearly today that the Lord wants you to rise up and be all you're called to be. He wants you to overcome. He wants you to recognize God is a consuming fire, but the nature of God is revealed in Jesus Christ, and the nature of Jesus resides in you. And then you're taking this nature of God, the love of God, and still driving out the evil forces of darkness. Every time I say that, or I say something about driving it out, I think of the G.I. Joe theme song from the 80s. Remember that? Yeah, you want me to sing it. You do, yeah. I will. <laughs> Fighting for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there, right? G.I. Joe! <laughs> I can't remember the rest of the verses, but it gets into it. It's just like uh, defeating Cobra the enemy, fighting to save the day. <laughs> he never gives up. He'll stay till the fight's done, fighting for freedom over land and air. G.I. Joe. <laughs> okay. That's like the church. Right? We got to cast out demons. We're going to go drive things out. We're going to make the kingdom of God advance in this culture. God just wants people to believe him. You know, when you read stuff in the Old Testament and it's crazy and things happen, you got to realize it was the Wild West in the Old Testament. God had a whole bunch of mess going on. He had angels rebelling and running all over the earth, messing around with people. He had spirits that were, you know, just wandering about doing crazy stuff. He had all kinds of things. First Kings talks about that. you got things that are just going crazy. And when Jesus came, Jesus came and showed up on the, on the face of the earth. And honestly, remember that scene from uh, Wyatt Earp? When, uh, uh, what was it, Kevin Costner walks in, he walks into the, the, the bar, and he's like, I'm wide up, and it all ends now. <laughs> That's what Jesus did. And they're like, oh, no. Now, Jesus showed up and said, yeah, the consuming fire, all the things, the party's over, boys. And he said, this prince of this world's coming at me, but he's got nothing in me. And it was his way of saying, and he knows it. And he knows it. And the Lord showed me. 
Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the Holy Spirit said to me, and I had a picture of the devil, Gollum, you know? Yeah? He's on his knee, and the Lord said, and he's going to have to say it. He's going to say it, man. I was like, oh, Mufasa, you're so awesome, God. You're just the best. Praise God. I love it. Ah, he's so awesome. So I love the Lord, and uh, the Lord loves you, and he wants you to live, move, and have your being and, and all of that. So can we just say this? You know, there's, there's something that goes in my heart sometimes, and it goes kind of like this. I think about, you know, days and sacrifice. Remember Kent Henry wrote that old song, and uh, one of the parts of the song said, um, all my days and sacrifices go to you. Now, Kent's named after Kent Henry, so I, I like that. But he has this song that says that. My days and sacrifices, all my days and sacrifices go to you. It's awesome. And now you guys are like, great. But there's a part with it, though, that I realize there's something in our hearts where we should, as worshipers of God, lovers of God, realizing the extent God went through, not only in the spirit, to defeat the devil and have to allow hell to exist as a response to that violation. The only other option was to clean the slate, kill all of us, and he wasn't willing to do that. So he chose to keep us and therefore keep the mess. And through that picture, we finally have Jesus, and he's just dynamite. Like, he is just awesome. And Jesus, when he did what he did, you think about it, and we think about what we do, the sacrifices, the work of the Lord, the things we got to do. I have this saying that's in my heart sometimes, and I like to just say, for Jesus. For Jesus. Can we all just say that? When things get a little rough for whatever we say, for Jesus. It's for Jesus. I think about that. It's, it's powerful. It's powerful. And I, I just, um, just got to love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And you make it for Jesus. And watch what he begins to do with you. It's amazing. This life's short anyway. We'll be on the other side of the veil looking at each other going, man, that was some good meetings we had, wasn't it? And then we went out and saved the lost. We went out and did the stuff. We're going to make disciples of nations. We're going to mess up the devil's playground. We're going to give him an epic beating that he'll never recover from. Praise God. I want to discourage the kingdom of darkness so badly that they're just like, oh, I'd mess with them, but man, it's painful and costly. Every time I bring warfare against these guys, it's just painful and costly. <laughs> it's just... It's just so painful. You know, it's like I like to say to the kingdom of darkness, you may walk over, but you're going to be limping back. <laughs> Praise God. So I believe it's time to enforce the kingdom. It's time to be who God's called us to be. It's time to be the ecclesia, which is a governmental term. You know, somewhere along the way, we're relegated from the consuming fire that would be on Sinai and melting rocks while he's talking to people to the fishermen and all the people in the New Testament and all the things that happen and Jesus begins to stand between heaven and earth and make redemption between God and man and breaks it through and raises the dead and does all these things and we've relegated that to a bake sale or bingo, you know? And, uh, and we've done that and, and even in youth, I love the youth here. You know, when I was a youth pastor, because I pastored for a long time, 
and all that. And uh, when I youth pastored, I didn't know how to youth pastor. I didn't know how to play games or, you know, do this or eat gross things and all that. I, what I did is uh, I would make them pray all night with me. That's all I knew how to do. Most of those kids are in pr- uh, prison. Most of those kids are in, <laughs> they're in prison. <laughs> yeah, I go to see them sometimes. No, no, most of them are pastors or, or in ministry. I was trying to say ministry and pastors and somehow it came up. But, um, but they're, really, they're really that way. They're, they're really uh, serving God. Most of them are worship leaders of churches or they're uh, in ministry. They're pastoring. They're leading things and doing stuff all over. They're involved in ministry all over the world. And there's something to be said for that. I feel that in this church. This church... Overcomers Church, churches like this class of church, a red church, this is the backbone of America right here. This is America right here, right here. So praise God. Man, Jesus is Lord. Can you say that again? Say, Jesus is Lord. I know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to win the lost. I'm going to drive out demons and laugh while doing it. We're going to continue broadcasting media around the world, reaching millions more people, billions. And people are like, what's your vision, Joseph? To take over the planet. I'm serious. Right, Kent? Yeah. People are like, what what do you want to do? And people are like, it sounds like a Pinky in the Brain episode. And I've never even seen Pinky in the Brain. People are like, Pinky in the Brain. I'm like, I've never seen it. But I was like, you know, what are we going to do today? I'm like, take over the world. What we do every day, you know? And I really believe that. People are like, well, what's what's your market? What do you want to do? Saturation. Global saturation. I won't be satisfied until that happens. I want global saturation of the preaching of the gospel. Um, you know, people used to ask me years ago, and boy, man, we went through some stuff, but you, I, I was believing God for my own satellite. I was just believing God that way, and I didn't know that. I, I met Jesse Duplantis, and I found out he's actually doing it. Did you know Elon Musk is launching, like, thousands of satellites to put his own internet out? And so I gave a word about a month or two ago now about a freedom technology, a freedom technology. I prophesied it. I, I was on my broadcast, and I saw it, and I wrote it on the board, and, um, I think Facebook pulled it, but you know, it had it's up to it's getting close to like a hundred thousand views, and Facebook pulled it, or something happened, and um, you know who knows. And uh, when that happened, I, um, I a month after that was sitting in a meeting with some executive leaders and ministry in different places, and I'm just hanging out and I'm ministering to a guy and all of this, and all of a sudden, two guys that had just flown into town with Mike Lindell came walking in the room, and they came walking in the room and they just said. We're here to basically build this new technology. And so the word I gave, God put me in the room when they told us behind the doors, we're going to do it for Mike Lindell. And then he came out and said, I'm doing a freedom tech. You know, I'm using that word freedom tech. He's calling it something else. I think he's naming it Frank or something. Um, he's calling it Frank. Frank. And, um, and then, you got to get my pillow. It's just, you know, that's what you really need. You need a pillow, and then you freedom tech, and you know, you just do that. Jesus is Lord, you know. And so, but, and so, but uh, that after that, then there comes uh, this other one, and I think Trump's coming out with one too. But Elon Musk, and I'm not trying to vouch for his, you know, who he is and how great he could be or whatever, but I do believe he's 
called of God, and if he'll stay the course of that call of God, even if he's an unbeliever, okay, I believe he's going to um, be like, I don't know how to describe him, but like one of those guys that will begin to bring uh, freedom to the planet. I think he has that capacity. Now, he could turn. It could go sideways. It could be terrible. But I really think that there's one more shot at a freedom of speech. I really do. We need to pray about that. The Lord's been really speaking to me about it. And um, when I pray, when you pray for us, and please do, you know, like if, if you do that, I, you know, more than, you know, partner with us, thank you for partnering. It means everything. Your, your partnership is so precious to us. We pray, we really pray over our partners. A lot of ministries say, praying for you. No, no, we pray for our partners. And our team calls our partners, and we stand with our partners. We love you so much. When I meet partners, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude. I think to myself sometimes, why did anybody partner with me? I really feel that way. I'm just like, I love you. Thank you so much. And so I take it really serious. And I believe when, I, when you're praying, and you're praying for us, pray that this message we have goes around the world because I am not afraid to say it to anyone. I've sat with leaders of nations, leaders uh, in parliament, leaders in uh, uh, the legal fields uh, all over the world, different nations, and I've sat with them, and when the Lord says go, I will, I will say it. And I have. And many people have gotten born again, and it's impacted countries. And I'm believing God, the public side of what we do is broadcasting through media making disciples, calling the young lions forward, uh, getting prophetic messages out there. Some people are like, Joseph, you get too much into the news sometimes. You get into this, you get into that. And I just say, I didn't ask you anyway. What do I care what you think? I need to do what God tells me to do. And it may fluctuate. One day you might get a whole week of straight teaching. Another day I might be talking about the coming UFO invasion, okay? And the reason being is I'm going to do what the Lord leads me to do. Because a lot of people are too scared of the institution to speak up for what's right. The institution of the government, the institution of the church, the ivory towers of the church. People care more about who they're in favor with than they care about what Jesus wants them to say. And I just got to tell you, I just, I'm over it. We need to get past the silliness of it all and do it. So if you are timid, partner with us. I won't be. Praise God. If you're not timid, partner with us. We'll be in agreement. <laughs> we'll get it done. Praise God. So we sure love you. It's been a tremendous time being here. It's just been a tremendous time being with you all. We think the world of you. I believe God has put us in a position to be a global prophetic voice. Um, it's something that I, I wasn't looking to do. It's not my, it was not my unction. I wanted to be a, a scholar and a teacher. But the Lord kept leading me in this direction, and, and honestly, it was his idea. So if he wants this, then I'm going to do it. And uh, this is where we're at. So our tagline is building lives by the voice of God. That's what we do. We do it all over the world. We build lives by the voice of God. And I'm believing God is going to do that. And I'm believing God for 7,000 partners that will help us do it. We call it the Red 7K. Uh, 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to the system. 7,000 that aren't backing up. And I know... I know that I know, not for the sake of us or anything, because Heather and I, we're on a set income. We don't, that's how it is. But when people give to this ministry, it's, uh, it's awesome. We're going to take territory. And I know we're going to have million-dollar days in this ministry. I know it, because our little ministry has probably given that much. And so...
people are like, don't call it Little Joseph. It's you're going big. Okay, this gigantic ministry is doing that. But I just want to say to you, I believe in God. I'm believing the Lord for a miracle offering for you today, for us. Uh, you know, we're, we're standing with your pastors. We're going to be sowing into them today because we just love you. We honor you. Thank you for honoring us. We feel honored, and we love you so much. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.